You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. All right, well, good morning. Welcome. Like Luke said, my name is, is Stan Hayek, one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, if you haven't met my wife, Sarah, she's amazing. We have four kids, seven, six, four, two. Should probably learn their names soon, um, but we uh, have a good, that was a joke. Let's loosen up, all right? So we're going to have fun today. Uh, we're talking about the mission and vision of Anthem Church. I do know my kids' names, by the way, uh, and they're all in service. We, we're limited in kids' space here, and so, uh, so we might have a few more distractions this morning. College students, prepare yourself. You're like, what is that? That's a baby crying, okay? So that's not normal. <laughs> Normally we have a nursery, but prepare yourselves. But I do want to just say welcome back to the college students. Like, we missed y'all over break. Uh, it was, uh, it is so good to have you guys back here. Yeah, some people like, <laughs> Teresa missed you too, okay? So me and Teresa, we missed you while you guys were gone. But, but you guys are back now, and uh, it's great. And then we, we lose you next weekend uh, just for temporary because you guys head off to the spring conference. And so, yeah, there's, I think there's a slide of, of the spring conference, a shot from last year. So this happens uh, every year in Des Moines, Iowa, where the kind of the salt companies, uh, it is now uh, a Midwest thing. They're at University of Iowa, Iowa State, Wisconsin's got a salt company. It, we even gave one to the Jayhawks last year. And so, um, so they're all coming together in the frozen tundra of Des Moines, Iowa for the spring conference. And so if you have yet to sign up, we would just want to invite you, if you're a college-age person, to sign up for the spring conference. You can just swing by Info Central, and uh, we'll get you connected, uh, get you a ride and all that stuff. It's a great weekend. Worship together, uh, and there's a number of messages that will be given, breakout sessions. And so it is an awesome time. But I'm a little bit... Uh, I don't want to say anxious because I'm not supposed to be anxious about anything. I'm preparing myself to go back home because originally from Iowa, know a number of these pastors, and I am preparing myself to be asked about a thousand times, hey, how's Anthem Church going? How's Salt Company? And so with that, you know, you you got the one-word answer, like, it's going great. But if they start to press a little bit more, like, how's it going? And I just would ask you, like, how would you answer that question? Like beyond the one word answer, like how's Anthem Church going? Or, or tell me about like, how's the health of your church? And how you begin to answer that really begins to show us kind of what we value. You know, do you answer that with, well, here's our numbers. This is how many people are coming. Is, is that what you want? Or do you measure like how Anthem Church is going based on like how many original songs our band has written? Like you could, and if that's the case, we're not doing so well as a church, right? Not so many originals. But what, what's the metric that we use? Is it based on how many, you know, service projects we're doing in the community? Is it based on how many people we've sent overseas? How do you gauge how well a church is doing or if a church is, is, is good? To accurately set, assess how well things are going here at Anthem, you have to know what target it is that we're shooting for. Does that make sense? So if the target is original songs, not doing well. But what's the target? What is it that we're shooting for? And that's what we're talking about today, the vision and mission, why it's so important to understand what it is that we're shooting for. And I would just say for me as an individual, and I think it's easy for churches to lose focus and become wildly successful in things that do not matter. 
Does that make sense? And then I, you, perhaps you've heard me share this. I got to milk this illustration for all it's worth because it has no other value than this, that, that I was wildly successful at Angry Birds, Angry Birds Rio specifically, 6 million users on the app at the time, number 49 in the world. No, don't cheer for that. The point of that is that is pathetic. That is pathetic. Like this, this moment where I am playing Angry Birds Rio during the birth of my first daughter. Pray for me, okay? And it's like, for what, you know? And, and that's the thing. D.L. Moody said it like this. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding in something that doesn't really matter. It's not about failing, it's about succeeding in things that matter. Jesus said it like this in Mark 8.36, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? If somehow you could amass the whole world but you don't take care of your soul, what does it matter? And so my biggest concern for us as a church is succeeding in things that don't matter. Losing sight of what we're talking about today which is so anchored in scripture and instead of being anchored in our vision and mission, settling for programs, behavior modification, instead of genuine heart change. And so it's important, what we're talking about today, it's important to understand the target we are shooting for. And so if you're taking notes, here's the vision of Anthem Church. We want people to know, love, and obey Jesus. We want people to know, love, and obey. And as a leadership team, we labored long and hard over, of, over the word selection there. We're saying we want people to know, love, and obey. And so it starts with knowing God, okay? We really want people to know God. And I'm going to use Acts chapter 9, and I think we have, uh, I think we have this on slide. So here you have Saul, who is bre uh, breathing out this murderous threat. I think there's one earlier, Brock, hopefully. Uh, and so Saul is on the road to Damascus, and, uh, and God encounters him. And as he's nearing Damascus, and I believe this is some two or 300 miles that he's traveling on foot to persecute Christians in this place. And so Saul is there, and as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't know if anybody here has had an experience quite like that, but here he is, and the Lord calls him by name. And look at the response that Saul has in verse 5. And he, Saul, said, Who are you, Lord? Because if he gets an answer to that, if God reveals, This is who I am, it puts everything else in perspective. Who are you? Because if he can come to, to know who God is, the rest kind of flows from there. Gets an answer to that, it gets everything. And the reality, the answer to this, who are you, God? I'm the God who spoke creation, to it, it, creation into existence. That's the answer to this. He, God spoke creation into existence. He made all things and he made them good. God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Even for you, Saul, a persecutor of Christians. Great and mighty to be praised, the great I am. And he goes on. Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That's who. You want to know who it is that you're, you're against, Saul? The one you're persecuting is Jesus Christ, the righteous Son of God who bore the sins of the world on the cross. 
His blood was shed that we could be forgiven. And death was defeated with his resurrection that we can have hope in life after life and spend eternity with God. That is the who. And if Saul can come to know that, know who God is, it begins to fill in the rest. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. If we could come to know that, understand that, that begins to inform what our response should be. And it's in light of that, that truth, for it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not by works, but the gift of God, eternal life through Christ Jesus. We start there. We have to understand that what happened after Acts 9 is Saul is radically transformed when he came to know God. And that transformation stands today, and, and people are continually to be transformed once they come to know God. And from that knowledge of God and what he has done, that he would send his son to die for us, should well up this love for God. And out of that love, Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll obey my commands. But it starts with knowing God, how that gets practically played out. So this past week was at a dining establishment here in town, and I'll leave some details out. But got to, I just was there, I was meeting with another guy, just enjoying some, some good barbecue. Now it's limited to like two restaurants in town, but was enjoying some great barbecue and then uh, got, just felt like the Lord was prompting me. That would be the best way to explain it, to have a conversation with a waitress that I'd interacted with before. And so I was like, went up and I sh just struck up some conversation and, uh, and she said, you know who I want you to meet? And I'll just, I'll call her Miss Mary. You need to meet Miss Mary. And so this waitress introduced me to this other waitress. And all of a sudden, Miss Mary just comes and just sits at her table with me and this other guy. And right away, can't make this stuff up. So here we are in a restaurant, rush hours going on. Miss Mary just locked in. And she said, I've seen your building that you're getting off Paris Road. I've seen the sign out front. And I just want to know. What's your church's stance on blank? I can fill in the blank, but you know, fill in it with any hot button topic. What's your church's stance on, can I live with my boyfriend? What's your church's stance on, on gender roles? What's your church's stance on women's reproductive rights? In this case, what's your church's stance on gender fluidity? And you know there's something prompting this, right? You're like, ah. I think this is a trap. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how this is going to go well. And, and so there's like this hesitancy. It's like, I, trust me, our leadership, we, we can open up scripture and I can give you an answer I don't necessarily think you're going to like. And so in that moment, it's like, okay. But by God's grace, I said, Ms. Mary, I want to I talk about that. But tell me first and foremost, where are you at with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with God? Like, do you know him? Have you asked him to come into your life? No? Okay, can we start there? And it's not to say that, that we, we shouldn't talk about this, but time and time again, church, you have to understand that when people come to know God, so a lot of these secondary issues honestly resolve themselves. But we get duped into like wanting to have this fight and this throwdown, and they don't even understand who God is. They have 
Miss Mary had a bigger problem than gender fluidity. She needed to know Jesus Christ is our Savior. It's about where her soul was going. And can we get that worked out and then we can have this conversation? Because apart from that relationship with God, this conversation probably is going to be hard and not make a whole lot of sense. But let's come to know who God is, what he's done, and then all of a sudden when you understand the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness he's shown to us, begins to frame in a lot of those conversations. It was fun how that story ends. I, I'm, <laughs> we're continuing that. I was able to pray for her in that restaurant, and it was just fun to see her welling up with tears as she got to hear about the love that God has uh, for us. As professing Christians, if you're taking notes, we cannot settle for behavior modification. We need to be about what God's really about, which is genuine heart change. Come on, who did Jesus have the most problems with? It was the Pharisees who were all about modifying behavior, but in and of their, their hearts were just dark. And so we can't be duped into just jumping to say, well, let's talk about obedience. And all the while, somebody doesn't even know God and the love that he has for them. That is why we say our vision is for people to know, love, and obey. We want all those things, but that order, so that people would know God, that they would love him, and that they would obey him. And that's, that's a vision that we have not only for our church, but for the city of Columbia, for Missouri, for, for the world, that everyone would come to know, love, and obey. And that's a sweet vision. But how that practically gets played out, that's where the mission comes into play. right? I don't know how many teams there are in the NFL, but they all have this similar vision at the start of the season. We want to win the Super Bowl. Great. How? How are you going to do that? Okay? Are you going to draft some really good players? How are we going to win the Super Bowl? We're going to have a really great defense. How are we going to do it? We're going to deflate the footballs ever so slightly so that we can throw them better. <laughs> Leave that one there. Figure that would go over well with some Chiefs fans. But, but they all have the same vision. I want to win the Super Bowl. But how does that get played out? What, that's the mission. That's where mission comes into play. So we want people everywhere to know, love, and obey. But how that gets practically played out, that's in the mission. And if you're taking notes, the mission of Anthem Church is to make disciples that, makes, that make disciples. That's how. If people, if Miss Mary's going to come to know God, love him, and follow him, it's going to be through disciples making disciples. That's catchy language, but we didn't originate it. Uh, Jesus gets the credit for this. Matthew chapter 28, and this is on the screen. Matthew 28. Closing words of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of age. He said in verse 19 there, Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the call. The call wasn't to go and make converts. The call wasn't to go and start church programs. The call to his followers was to make disciples and baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Now, you have to understand that that gets flushed out in kind of two ways. A corporate call to make disciples and a personal call to make disciples. 
And I feel like so many times in kind of ministry context, we minimize the corporate call of discipleship. And we quickly jump to, well, what are you personally doing to make disciples? And we have this imagery of like going and meeting in coffee shops one-on-one, and that's discipleship. I'm saying it in, but, but we have to understand that once they got this commission to go and make disciples, what happened, what followed was the disciples then went and they established churches. They went to places like Philippi, to Corinth, to Thessalonica, to Galatia, and there they established churches, groups of believers that would gather together said, in, in, I think it's in, in Acts 2 or 3, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread. So these, these people came together. And it wasn't enough to just get them gathered up. They wanted to see them become mature. And so in Acts 14, we learn that Paul, and I believe it's Barnabas with them, went and they appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So it's not just enough to, to see people accept the gospel. It needs to be lived out in community. And so Great Commission, the application of that was churches being established. And so we're going to, it is so important that at Salt Company, we're actually taking the first five weeks of our semester with our college students to just unpack what's the church. Because reality is the number of them are going to leave Columbia upon graduation. And we want to have a right view of what Christ would call the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church. And so before we jump back into to our uh, Corinthian study, we're talking about the church. And so these, this care for the churches, letters that would be written to them, and this local gathering of believers, and why the church is so important, the corporate call to discipleship, why it can't just be one-on-one in coffee shop, here's the reality of this. One, we see scripturally the value that is placed on the, the church but even just pragmatically, how many stories do we know, just even personally, where people came to connection group or they came to church and they said, man, I thought I was good with God. And then I got around God's people. <clears throat> and that is when God began to work in my heart and do something. And perhaps that is how God used the church to draw them in. But so many, God is using the church to draw them deeper, to make disciples of them. I know that's true for me personally. I love my connection group. I love going every week because the men and women in our group challenge me to better love Jesus. Man, I love connection group. And Lord willing, I get to challenge those guys as we open God's word together. And this is why the, the call to make disciples and make disciples, why, if you're going to choose to be a part of Anthem Church, just want to be clear on the front end, why we really value connection groups as opposed to maybe like more program-driven stuff is because we truly believe that getting in homes is where you can get into people's lives, learn about their marriage, their parenting, what's going on at work. When you share food with a group of people in a smaller group like that and intimately get to know each other, Man, that is where life change happens. Not to say that God can't use rows, but there's something about circles that God really uses to push us to become more like him. And so I'm grateful for the community that we have in the college side and the community that happens through connection groups. And so we can't negate the, the, the corporate call of discipleship. 
God's people coming together. And again, it is so beautiful when a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-gifted body of believers come together and are unified, not because we all share the same common interest of what football team we cheer for, but we, because we share the common interest of Christ. Just unified together. And I'm telling you, to the outside world, that is a supernatural thing. Clearly, God is at work. I love that. I love that because of what Jesus has done and our commonality and his grace, some of my best friends are people apart from God. I don't know if we'd hang out. But because of what God has done and the unity that we have, it is a beautiful thing. And so the corporate nature of discipleship, you can't miss that. But that doesn't negate the personal call to make disciples. Here's the question. Who are you personally investing in spiritually? I mean, you read Matthew 28, right? And it says, go, this is to his followers, go and make disciples. Teach them to observe. So who is it that you are, you're meeting up with and you're helping them better know God and love him and follow him and obey him? I know that's just, that's just like not a fair pop shot. It's kind of like if I said, like, how's your prayer life doing? That's one of those things where it's like, well, it could be better, right? I've never met somebody who's like, you know what? I probably pray a little too much. Like, everybody, everybody could afford to pray a little bit more. And I, and I feel like this is unfair because, like, well, you know, are you doing enough discipleship? You're like, oh, I suppose I could do a little bit more. I'm not just trying to pick on you, but it really is, like, a question of, like, how are we doing with the personal call to make disciples? We can't be content simply knowing Jesus and keeping our faith personal. My understanding in the Middle East, there's... There's a sin that's kind of above all sin. It's, it's called the sin of the desert. What is meant by this, one of my pastor friends traveling there, they explained the sin of the desert to him. He said, imagine an arid kind of climate. Water is the source of life. You need water to just survive in a desert. And the sin of the desert is this, that if you were to find water, that is to find life, and then not tell anybody about that, that would be committing the sin of the desert. What it is to say that I'm happy, I'm okay, I'm taken care of, but as for you, I'm content letting you die looking. And so it is for those that would say, God is the source of joy, hope, love, to come to know him and spend eternity with him. That is where it is at. I love what God has done for me. For the rest of you, I mean, That's the sin of the desert, that we would know these truths and not share them. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, it says, And how are they to believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Anthem Church, every one of you, if you're saying, I want to be a part of this, I am absolutely passionate and committed that you actively be involved in making disciples as Jesus commanded us to do. That, that, that is how we will measure success around here, that we will define it. I am utterly against playing church where we would be content with people just coming, filling chairs, feeling good about our numbers, but then people going on about their lifestyles. I, I, forget where the quote was. I know it was on uh, some DC talk song back in the day. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians 
Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then go on about their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Don't want to play church. We want to be the church and we want to actively be involved. Why? Because Jesus tells us to. It'd be obedient to scripture. Primary reason number one, you should do this. Why? Because God said so. But here's the other thing, why God said so. God's laws make perfect sense and they're out of love for us. Why is because you were created to be able to use your gifts, and in doing so, there's such a joy from doing that, and I want you to experience that joy that comes from discipling others, from being a part of a community and using your gifts. I want you to experience that joy of being on mission together. Ephesians 4.12 talks that we are given gifts to, to be used to build up the body. And when we get to do that, it's such a rewarding and beautiful thing. Our connection group this week, as we were talking about it, likened discipleship to somewhat like parenting. And there's a lot of new parents in here, right? Happy days in your house, Zach? I mean, sometimes. A lot less sleep. But there's a deep-seated joy from seeing your little child and raising them up. Nathan's sitting next to you, yeah, yeah. Not happy, but joy. There's a joy that comes from, from parenting. And it's such a beautiful thing. But the goal, <laughs> I talked to you guys back there. Both these guys have some newborns. The goal, right, Nathan, isn't to have little Hezekiah living in your basement when he's 30, right? Bad, okay? Right now, understandable, three, four weeks old. But when they're 30 and they haven't moved out, you have a problem, okay? That's parenting fail. Uh, the goal would be to see your kid get raised up. And Lord willing, be the responsible enough to like have their own kids someday. Like that's how the human race continues, right? And so the goal uh, is, is multiplication and to see like that's going to be addition. And so likening it to parenting, discipleship, you invest, but eventually there's a, there's a point where you hope that those that you're investing in turn and invest others. And I think some of you guys are, are waiting like, well, I don't know if I, I'm at a spot where I can invest in others. Again, back to parenting, nobody is ready to parent. Everybody that's ever had a kid and they're like, it's time to leave the hospital. You remember that day? You're like, no, no, I stay here. You take care of me. Like, this kid, really? Nobody's ready. You might think you're ready. You're not, okay? Discipleship, same way. If you're waiting to have all the answers, no, you won't. But part of it, the joy is jumping in there, being used, and figuring out in process. I love, First Peter 4 has been kind of like my anchor verse. Above all else, love each other deeply. Love covers over a multitude of sins. You genuinely love that kid, you're going to figure it out. And in discipleship, what do I do? Where do I start? Love them. Love them, and I bet you're probably going to figure out a lot of this on your own. Love them enough to ask the hard questions. Love them enough to tell them what nobody else is willing to tell them. They'll say it behind their back, but not to their face. Love people in that way. Love is going to cover over a multitude of sins. And so that is the vision of Anthem Church, help people know, love, and obey. And the mission, make disciples, anchored in Scripture. And in doing so, that multiplication, seeing what God's going to do, by God's grace, this won't be the last church we see go out from here. It won't be the last. 
overseas workers we send next month continue to grow. And so as we go back, circling full circle, going to be asked, well, how are things going? And I want to have the discipline to answer that question based on what it is we truly value. And so when they ask, well, how's it going? I want to say, well, there's, you know, there's about 300 people there. I want to be able to share stories, stories like the building brings out. How's it going? <laughs> Let me tell you about our church body being the church body. Got a guy, Scott Gutwine, who's spending so much stinking time at our building, working his tail off. I just gave him a key. I said, you lock up. I'm tired of this. <laughs> Let me tell you about Joe, who's a high school kid that said, hey, we're going to need snow plowed. Why don't I just build one for my truck and push the church of snow around? <laughs> to talk about the, the college men and women, the community people that have been out there serving at the building all week long. This is just the building what it's bringing out. The, the community gals that said, hey, I want nobody to go hungry out there. Let me provide food. How's the church doing being the church and, and rallying together all parts of our And let me tell you about how our church did a one-time give last month. <laughs> and our young little church put $90,000 in a bucket on a Sunday. That's just what the building is bringing out in terms of the corporate nature of the church being the body. Let me tell you about the 30 plus baptisms that we've seen happen in the life of Anthem Church. Her disciples making disciples, seems like that'd be in line with Matthew 28. And I know there's, there's people that are ready, like, when can we fill that tap water up again? Soon, right? We'll roll out the horse trough. There's a spot for in the new building. And, and I anticipate God calling more people to identify with him this spring in the waters of baptism. We got youth leaders that are stepping up, young couples, young singles in our community that said, I want to love high school students, middle school, middle school students, and they're, they're stepping up in loving them. And then we've got even our middle school and high school students that are saying, I know our youth ministry meets in a basement right now, but we're committed to Jesus. We're going to open the Bible together and we're going to grow this thing. Is discipleship happening? Yeah. I mean, it's subtle, but I think it's countercultural when you have men and women and they're having their kid, you know, a kid together, and they said, the men say, you know what, honey? I'll figure out a way to make a little bit extra, work harder. If you want to stay at home with that kid, we'll make it happen. That's happening in the life of Anthem Church, and I think that is to be praised if that's what the couples want to be about for the men to step up like that and to be men and to be providers. We got our next couple getting ready to be sent out overseas. We got about a dozen college students that are going to spend their summer overseas. How are things going at Anthem? I'd say pretty well. Given the, our mission and our vision, I would say things are going pretty well. But I do, I know we have more in the tank, church. I know we have more. And if you are one of those who are like, oh, I don't even know where our building's at. <laughs> I would want to invite you to, to join in some of that work. If you're one of those like, I've got coworkers that I haven't been intentional with, I want to invite you to be intentional in the discipleship-making process, corporately and personally, because I truly believe the joy is yours. And I, I understand that it is counterintuitive, but that's often how God works. How is it that serving myself pouring out to others in, in sacrificing is going to bring me joy. 
Because I say in doing so, you're following the pattern that Jesus Christ set. And that there is joy in that obedience because you're getting to follow the Lord and what he would have for you. And by God's design, when we walk in obedience, there's a joy that comes from that. And so when you get to share with Christ in this way, and again, we're about to take communion here at Anthem Church. I just want to be absolutely clear. Jesus is not calling us to do anything that he hasn't already done. He's calling us to give of our time, our talents, our treasure, to pour ourselves out. He gave himself, quite literally, his death on a cross. His blood was shed. His body was broken for us. And so it's knowledge of that, what God has done, begins to inform what it is we do in response to that. Amen? And so what we're going to do is we're going to take communion, and how that works is there's uh, communion stations in all four corners. On your own time, as the band's playing and we're worshiping, you can make your way to one of those tables. You can just kind of watch lines. I imagine those will be forming. But just take your time. Not everybody has to go up at once. But when you're ready, make your way to the communion table, and you can take a piece of the bread, break it off, and you can dip it into the cup. And again, remembering Jesus' body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us so that we could do this in remembrance of him. And as you go there, what I would want you thinking about today is just as you're prayerfully making your way to the communion table, just remember what God has done. And then as you take that, just in response, Lord, is there anything that you're calling me to do? And perhaps even this message, you're like, I, I know who I need to talk to and be intentional with. And I would want to invite you to take those steps of obedience, Anthem Church, given the vision and mission we find anchored in Scripture, that you would want to be a part of that this week. And when, by God's grace, you jump on that obedience, please share that with me so we can celebrate that together. So I'm going to pray for us, and as the band comes up, Lord, Jesus, thank you. You are Lord and Savior. And so, God, thank you for your love that you've shown for us. And, God, we don't want to hoard that up. We want to love others. And so, Heavenly Father, do just pray by your Holy Spirit. You would move in our hearts now and that you would clearly call us to what it is that you would have. But, God, we know just in general that you are calling us to make disciples disciples of all nations, to teach people, to really come alongside as a parent, walking with them, loving them, pouring our lives into them selflessly as you've done for us, God. And so we praise you and we thank you for those that have invested in us. God, thank you for the Mike C. who's in my life, Paul Sabino. God, thank you for, for the men and women that have invested in us. And Lord, we just profess we don't want it to stop with us. We want to see multiplication happen. And so God, would you, I do pray that as people take steps of obedience this week, God, that you would graciously give just an insurmountable amount of joy to those in their steps of obedience. Continue to draw us along, Father, and go before us in this way. And so that's a prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.